Listen, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jonah. In the Old Testament, between Obadiah and Micah, I can tell that you guys are students of the Word. Listen, and if you have a hard time finding it, just do what I have to do from time to time. Go to the table of contents and look at it, okay? Look it up and find it that way. But we're going to be here over the next several weeks as we spend time and as we look at the story of Jonah and what God's Word has to stay, uh, say to us. How many of you guys had a great July 4th? Sounds like it was a really good day. Yeah. How many of you saw great fireworks on July the 4th? Great fireworks. Great fireworks. I had to see it on TV, but I saw great fireworks. But it was good. We're excited to have our kids in with us for the month of July. Kids, I want to make sure that you uh, bring your Bibles. We want you to participate. Uh, walk along with us. You should have gotten a packet when you walked in uh, this morning. Should have had some stuff in there for you, some things to do. And if Pastor Sid got really boring, you could, you could do it, okay? And so, uh, but we're glad that you guys are in here with us. It's going to be a good time as we walk through the book of Jonah. Just like it was during the month of, of uh, May, what I'm going to ask you guys to do as families is Jonah is four books, four chapters long, and so families, this is my challenge to you. That's not an awful lot, uh, but what I'm going to ask you to do is somewhere during the week, and I, hopefully this, is, this doesn't constitute your time in God's Word, but for families, I would love for you at least one time during the week to gather over the next several weeks, just one chapter a week over the next four weeks, I want you guys to read that chapter. Like this next week, I want you guys to read chapter 1 together and sort of discuss or, or go back and talk about what we talked about this Sunday. So that gives you a time to maybe do some family devotionals together, to pray together. So I really want to challenge you guys to do that over the next several weeks as we spend time in God's Word. So listen, let's just, let's just pick up where, where, uh, where Jonah begins there in Jonah chapter 1. And um, everybody find it? Yes, no, some of you guys are still trying to find it. It's okay, you'll find it. Like I said, go to the table of comments. But this is what uh, Jonah has to say beginning in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the NLT translation, and this is what it has to say. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of the Mittai. And this is, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, if you know anything about Jonah, there's probably a couple of details that you know. God told Jonah to go someplace. Jonah didn't want to go, so he ran from God, got down on a boat. There was a huge storm. Jonah got thrown overboard. He was eaten by fish. He was there for three days, right? I don't think I want to find myself in the same situation as Jonah. And it's very easy for us to get caught up in the discussions. And You've probably been there. You know, how is it possible for a man to live for three days inside of the belly of a fish? You've been there. You've asked some questions like that before. You've probably even searched on the internet to try to find a story. And you'll find some stories on the internet that will say that we prove that it's possible for a man to live for three days inside the belly of a fish. And it's easy to get caught up in those discussions and totally miss out on the bigger picture. I mean, let me maybe put it to you this way. I don't understand, and I can't explain how God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, but the Bible says it, I believe it. I don't understand Noah and the flood, but the Bible says it, and I believe it. 
I don't understand the plagues that God sent down on the Egyptians and how he parted the Red Sea. But the Bible says it, and I believe it. I, don't ex- I can't explain the virgin birth of Jesus. I can't explain how he healed the sick, how he made the lame to, uh, to walk, the blind to see. I can't explain how he raised Lazarus from the dead. But I know that the Bible says it. I believe it. I don't understand and I can't fathom the suffering that Jesus endured when he was falsely accused and he was arrested and the fact that he was beaten and crucified on the cross. I don't understand it. I don't know how it all happened. I don't know how Jesus endured all of that pain, but the Bible says it, and I believe it. And I don't understand, and I can't explain how Jesus would spend three days in a grave, how he was buried there, yet he was resurrected from the dead. I can't explain it, and I can't explain the people that would see Jesus after the resurrection, but the Bible says it, and I believe it, and as far as I'm concerned, that settles it. See, the big question at, at, at hand here is this, does God exist, and do you believe that he exists, and if so, do you believe that God is at work around us? Do you believe that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, as the Bible teaches us? Because when you do, the story is like Jonah, it's so much easier to not only just grasp it, but believe it. Because once we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, these stories like Jonah aren't as hard to believe. Because we believe that God is at work and we believe that God's word is an account of God's work. There are some people that say that Jonah, the book of Jonah, is a parable. Like Brian spoke about the parables over the past several weeks and did such a great job. But this isn't just a story. This is not just a parable with a meaning. This is a historical story because inside of this story, we find names, we find dates, we find times, we find details. And right up front, there are some details that are really important. Look at what he says. He said, Jonah was the son of who? Who was he the son of? Amittai. You guys are trying to figure out how to say it. Amittai. Amittai. Jonah was the son of Amittai, just like Sidney is the son of Shep and Myra Brock, like Brian is the son of David and Donna K. Williams. And we just don't read about Jonah here in this passage of Scripture, but we also read about Jonah back in 2 Kings chapter 14. And we also, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, we read about Jonah where Jesus himself mentions Jonah as a prophetic sign to his own ministry. And the book of Jonah begins with some details that the Lord gave this message to him, and this is what he says. This is what the message was. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Nineveh to start off with. Nineveh was not a very nice place to be. It would have been the capital city of Assyria. It was a center of trade routes. There was an awful lot of commerce that took place there. History teaches that Nineveh would have been a city that would have been about 30 miles long and about 10 miles wide. It sits and it is encompasses by, encompassed by what we know as modern-day Mosul there in Iraq. It was a, uh, the king during that time was a man by the name of Sennacherib. He modernized the city, bringing aqueducts down from the hills so they would have water. He also was a builder. He created tre- tremendous buildings, and one of those buildings was what they called the Palace Without Rival. He built that palace from laborers that he received from countries around them that surrounded them that he had conquered. And he put them to work, and so they built this huge place. And when they uncovered it and discovered it back in the 19th century, 
what they said is they found that this was a huge building containing more than 70 rooms. But the Ninevites were known as cruel people. Susan, it was not somebody that, that you'd wanna, you would want to go up against. As a matter of fact, there are stories, historical stories that tell accounts that are pretty gruesome, and I won't even go there today. But I will go as far to tell you this, that they would take and stack the bodies outside the city walls, the city gates, so that people would see, don't mess with the Assyrians, we mean business. So that it would incite fear inside of those that were on the outside. They were ruthless and cruel, these terrible acts. And so it's this place and this people group that God would say to Jonah, Jonah, look, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Nineveh. Not to mention it, it was the fact that it was one of Israel's greatest enemies. And so what we're going to see is that Jonah didn't want to do what God instructed him to do. But what would you have done? Oh, sure, God, whatever you want me to do, not a big deal. Let's just pick up and go to Nineveh. Let's just put our lives at stake. Nevertheless, let's go talk to the people that happen to be my people's, one of their greatest enemies. And the Lord gives him these instructions to go to Nineveh and to tell them that God was going to judge them because of their wickedness. And this is what, how Jonah responded there in verse 3. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went, what? Down. I want you to circle that word because that word is mentioned several times in a few minutes. What I'll do is I'm going to make note to that word and some significance behind it. But look at what he says. He went down to the port of Joppa, Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Say it again, Tarshish. Say it three times in a row, Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Caleb was saying earlier, he said, that's a hard word to say. I said, I understand that, buddy. It's really hard. And there was there at Tarshish, he, he said, uh, down at Joppa. He bought a ticket. He went on board, hoping to escape the Lord from sailing to what? Tarshish. God said, go. Jonah said, Mm-mm. there's a VeggieTales song. Jonah was a prophet. You know that song? So Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. Uh-huh. But he really never got it. Doodly do. And if you watch him, you can spot it. That spot it. <laughs> uh, he did not get the point. That's what it says. Yeah. Jonah, he said, no. And the way I read this is that Jonah didn't waste any time hanging around, but the Bible says that he went immediately down to the port of Joppa and he bought a one-way ticket on a boat headed in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. Now, it wasn't close by any means, but this place was a long way away. I mean, mean, if you were looking just in distance-wise, I mean, it had been a whole lot easier for him to go to Nineveh. But man, he wanted to turn around. And he wanted to go the opposite direction. All the way into southern Spain. That's a long way away. And it's easy for us to go, I can't believe he would do something like that. How could he do that? But have you ever disobeyed God? You ever ran from God? You ever tried to hide from from God? But listen, before we paint this picture of Jonah being a bad dude, let's, let's, let me give you some other thoughts. And here's a thought. Jonah was a good guy. 
Jonah was a really good guy, as a matter of fact. He was a prophet in the northern kingdom. The kingdom had been separated between the north and the south. He was a prophet in the northern kingdom up under the, up under the reign of, of Jer, Jer, uh, Jeroboam II. Jonah would have been referred to as a prophet, a servant of God, a religious leader. And here is this religious leader, this pastor, who had walked with them and taught them and, and led them all of a sudden to tell God no. No. You want a, a simple definition of rebellion against God? Rebellion? Saying no to God. Hey, kids, you know what rebellion is towards your parents? See, parents, you like this. It's telling your parents no. You would never do that, would you? No. But rebellion is saying no to God. And here's Jonah, who seemed to be a good guy, who was a good guy, a religious guy. He's a pastor type of guy. And he tells God no. And you're saying, like, I can't believe he would do that. But before you throw a stone, it is easy to live like Jonah. To obey God when it's convenient and comfortable and talk about God's word. But how many of us have had that time in your life or that area where you just say, mm, God, I ain't going to do it. I don't want to give that area to you. I don't want to be obedient in that spe specific area. But on the indication on the outside, it was, man, Jonah had it together. Maybe you're like that. I mean, you, you attend worship services, you gather. I mean, you go to a Bible study. You, you're, man, you're, you're one of the first ones to be active in serving or, or giving. But you got this area, and your response to God in that area is no. See, maybe you're a Christian teenager, and, and you're seeking out a dating relationship with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. God, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to listen to what your word has to say. Or maybe you're married and you've become emotionally attached to another person through social media. And you know it's not right, but you refuse to stop. Deep down inside, you know exactly where it's heading, but you refuse to confess your sin to the Lord and repent. Maybe it's something that you've seen on technology. You know it's not right, kids. Parents, you know it's not right, but instead of confessing it and talking to, to someone, your spouse or a parent or a friend, you try to hide it. God, I'll obey you over here, but I don't want to give this to you. It may be that you know that God has been prompting you to be involved in some type of a ministry, yet you refuse to take a, a step of faith because it would interrupt your fishing. Or maybe it would interrupt your, your skiing, or maybe it would interrupt uh, your hobby. Maybe there's a person that God has placed on your heart to get together with and spend some time, but you refuse because it would just interrupt your time schedule. Maybe it's a person that's hurt you in the past, and you know that God is calling you to forgive, but your response is over my dead body. You don't understand how bad they've hurt me. And so here's Jonah, this good religious guy, saying, no, I don't want to do that. A little later, we're going to see how that works out for him. Second thought, notice that when he went to the port, there was a ship that was already ready to set sail. So here he goes down to the port of Joppa. He found a ship that was leaving for Tarshish. Can you believe that? Have you ever bargained with God? Listen, God, I know you're just kidding, but listen, if you aren't kidding, then why don't you just do this, and then I'll know whether or not you're at work or not. 
God, listen, I'm going to go down to the port, and if there's not any ships, then I'll know. I will know. But if there's a ship, God, I know that you're ready, but you want me to leave, and you aren't really serious. You're just kidding about this Nineveh stuff. But there was a ship ready to set sail. See, man, I knew that God was just joking. God was just kidding. He didn't really want me to go to Nineveh because, look, he provided a ship for me to go in the opposite direction. I know. I knew God was just joking because if he wasn't joking, he never would have provided a boat. Let's, let's put this in contemporary terms. Okay, can we do that? I know God is in this. I really know God is in this because I've been so unhappy in my marriage. And God doesn't want me to be unhappy. He wants me to be happy. And so he brought, he brought her into my life. See, I knew God would do that. I knew that. Or what about this one? God, if, if, if you... If you want me to make this purchase, then let there be some way that they find around a way around my bad credit. Let them find a way so that, that I'll be able to purchase it. Because in reality, there should be no way that anybody would allow me to purchase something like that because of my credit. It's terrible because I never pay my bills. I'm on over my head. Just because you find a ship in the port doesn't mean that God is okay with it. As a matter of fact, it may mean that Satan is fishing and he's thrown out the bait and he's just waiting to see if you're going to take the bait so he can set the hook. And you write this down. When you're running from God, there's always going to be a ship in the port. When you're running from God, there's always going to be a ship in the port because we have an enemy that works night and day seeking to deceive and destroy us. And if you're looking for a way out of your marriage, I promise you that you will find it. If you're struggling with greed, there will always be another great deal to be had. Hello? Is that an amen? That's right. There's always another place that we can spend a dollar because the temptations we face from Satan himself, they aren't new, but they go all the way back to the, to the beginning. All the way back to Genesis and to Adam and Eve. Because he's always into providing alternatives to our obedience to the Lord. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea. Kids, I want you to make your best sound of a, of a huge wind. Do that for me. No, that's spitting. We don't do that. That's a hailstorm, okay? <laughs> so this huge, powerful wind over the sea comes, and the Lord hurled it, causing a violent storm that threatened to break apart the ship. And here's Jonah thinking that he's escaping, only going to discover in just a few minutes that he can't outrun God. And so here's God bringing about this huge storm. And it says in verse 5, Fearing for their lives, these desperate sailors... These innocent guys, they're just on the ship, they're doing their job, shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Listen, desperate people do desperate things. I remember being in a situation like that one time where I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to sink. We're 20 miles offshore. Man, my boat's taking on water. My friend's saying, throw it overboard. I said, no, don't throw it overboard. Wait just a second. 
But desperate people do desperate things. And here they're not just thinking about, they're thinking about their lives. And the storm was so bad. They were trying anything possible to get the storm to stop. They even took cry at times, uh, turns, crying out to the gods that they worshipped, but to no avail. And he goes on to say, but all this time Jonah was sound asleep. Where? Down in the hold. Down. And so in just the first few verses, we, we see this word or this thought of being down used several times. And we're going to see it in just a few minutes. Jonah went down to Joppa, down in the hole of the ship. And then in verse 6, we're going to see where it says that the captain went down after him. And here's the takeaway. Disobedience is a downward spiral that leads to separation and death. And it begins with a choice. I never met anybody in their life that their goal was to become an alcoholic, never become addicted to drugs. I've never met a newly married couple that said their goal in life was to eventually become divorced. I've never met a person in my life that their goal was to experience financial disaster. Never met a person like that. When the kids were younger, we would always go to the beach for a couple of weeks during the summertime and where we would go out on the beach from time to time, the currents would be, uh, they'd be pretty strong. And so Augustine, what we would do is we'd wade out into the water and before you knew it, if you weren't paying attention, you'd be way down the beach. You ever done that? <laughs> yeah. Here we are going along with the natural flow. And once you got in it, Unless you fought against it, you'd be swept along. And that's a lot like sin. I mean, you might think, well, not, not that big a deal. I can just wade in and I'm okay. I can disobey God this time and it won't really matter. God will forgive me and I can just do whatever I want and I can ask God for forgiveness and everything will be okay because God loves me and he loves me and he does. But write this down. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Listen, an adulterous relationship just doesn't up and happen, but it's the result of a downward spiral that that happens as a result of sinful choices that may not happen overnight, but they happen over a period of time. One, another one, another one, another one. The angry or bitter heart just doesn't happen overnight. But it's a series of results of unforgiveness and jealousy, unconfessed sin over time that just builds up and builds up and builds up. Casting Crowns has a song. It's called A Slow Fade. And I I wrote down the words in my notes because I wanted to read them to you if I can read my own writing. It says it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid. When you give yourself away, people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. And you say, man, it would never happen to me. Don't you ever say never. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm just one step away from stupid. How many of you, the person responded, you say, I know that. 
Verse 6. So the captain went where? So the captain went down after him, and how can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. That's not probably how it went. How can you be asleep at a time like this? Get up. Pray. Pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare us of our lives. And then the crew trying to draw for straws. Anything they could, that might would work. It says they cast lots, trying to find out which one of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. So he has to go down. Jonah's sleeping down in the hole. He goes down and gets him and says, what are you doing? Man, get up. We're in trouble. How can you be sleeping? Listen, you got to do something because we've tried everything and it seems to not be working. Working. In the meantime, the guys, up, the guys upstairs are trying to figure out, man, okay, okay, let's somebody help. what's causing all of this so they cast lots it's like the flipping of coins or, 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 or this little game that they would play and, and in the midst of that God works and he speaks to them and guess what happens every time they, they did it it fell on Jonah so they tried it again and it fell on Jonah and they tried it again and it fell on Jonah everything kept pointing to Jonah and here and then it was question time Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord. Listen to what he says. The God of the heavens, the one who made the sea and the land, God's sovereignty, he's in control over it all. Jonah's being then put, put the pieces of the puzzle together. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? Man, if you knew what you knew, why in the world are you running from God when he's in control over everything? Write this down. Our disobedience not only impacts our lives, but also those around us. There is always a price to be paid for sin. And our sin just doesn't affect us, but it affects those that love us the most or those that are are within close proximity. See, the sin of of an employer always will impact the employee. The sin of a child will always impact the the lives of a parent. The The sins of a parent will always impact the lives of a child. The sins of a friend will always impact their friends. Our disobedience towards God doesn't just impact our lives, but also those around us. Write this down. Here's a principle. We reap what we sow. In Paul's letters to the churches in Galatia, Paul would write, don't be misled, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And as private as we may think our sin may be, it's not. We'll reap what we sow. Even though sin may be planted in private, we will reap a harvest of consequences. And the consequences of our actions, whether good or bad, will end up eventually spilling into the lives of other people around us. It's called association. Principle B. In other words, those closest to us can either be blessed by our association or they can be hurt by our association. For the teenager who doesn't care, those closest will be impacted. 
Parents, our children are impacted by our stupid choices. That's just the way it is. They either are blessed by our desire to please and live for the Lord or vice versa. But not only do our family or our family members impact it, but it impacts the lives of those who are closest to us for eternity. The greatest gift we can give our kids is not a cell phone. The greatest gift we can give our kids is not a brand new car. The greatest gift that we can give our children is a relationship with Jesus in our lives that spills over into their lives. Here's another thought. Talking about storms, God can and will use storms to turn us back to him. Write that down. God can and will send storms to turn us back to him. God can send difficulty and even tragedy in our lives to grab our attention. See, there are a couple things that can humble us. Write down theology, what we believe. Our belief in God should bring us to the place of understanding that we're sinners and that we're in desperate need. We're separated from God because of our sin, but because of God's love, deep love and affection towards us, he desires to have a relationship with us. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we might be able to have a relationship with him. It's a decision that we made and a theology that we believe that the only way that we can have a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ, and to humbly submit ourselves to bring ourselves to a place to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I want to give my life to you. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. But also humility can come as a result of God sending a storm. A storm that puts us flat on our back, that there's no place else that we have to go. One pastor said it this way. God will attack our idols when we come to learn how insignificant and powerless our idols are and how much we need him. When I say idols, I'm saying anything that we put in front of God. We might be able to translate or to define it this way, something that I love more, trust more, or crave more than God. If your idol's your friends, where will you turn when your friends abandon you? If your idol is your money, where do you go when there's no money left? And you say, my idol is not my money. That's an indication in itself because it's not yours to begin with. It's his. Everything that we have comes from the Lord. So Meredith says to me the other day, I had used the word my peas, okay, P-E-A-S, so Meredith said, what makes you think they're your peas? I said, well, who in the world do you think tilled the ground? Who in the world do you think? Don't no, put your hand down, boy. I paid him to till the ground, I beg your pardon. think tilled the ground? Who do you think planted the seed? Who do you think fertilized? Who do you think pulled the weeds? Who in the world do you think watered it? Who do you think? Who do you think picked the peas? Who do you think shelled the peas? Who do you think cooked the peas? They're my peas. No, they're not. They're God's. Doesn't take an awful lot for us to identify where our idols may be, right? You may be self-dependent and God wants to put you into a situation that you have to depend on other people. You're prideful and God puts you in a situation to break our pride and our arrogance. 
And see, you might be in the midst of a storm right now. But I want to say this to you. Just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean that you've been disobedient. Because there are times in our lives when just because. The Bible says that there are storms that come on the just and the unjust. The righteous and the unrighteous. But in this instance with Jonah, there are those times, like in Jonah's life, when God just didn't allow for the storm, but he caused it. You see that? God caused the storm. And you may be saying, well, Sid, how in the world do I know if the storm that I'm in the midst of right now is a result of my disobedience or because God is just doing something? You'll know. So you, you, you know. You, you know whether or not the storm that you're in is a result of disobedience or not. It's not something somebody has to walk up to you and tell you, oh, the reason you're going through that is because you already know that. You just have to be honest with yourself and to be willing to say, God, I'm sorry. Man, I, I'm an idiot. You forgive me. Man, God tries to get our attention, and, and he'll let you know what for. You know, if you don't, all you got to do is ask him. He'll tell you. But here's Jonah. He went from following God, being this religious guy, doing all these religious things, to running from God, running from him. And he gets on this boat thinking he could flee from God, but you can never outrun God. You can't outrun him. I don't care where you go. You can't outrun him. There's no distance that's too far. And in verse 11, it says, And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Listen to what, listen to what Jonah said. Just throw me into the sea. If you throw me into the sea, it will become calm again, and I know that this terrible storm, it's all my fault. It's on me, guys. Throw me overboard. Now, you got to give it up for these sailors. They didn't want Jonah's blood on their hands. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder trying to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. So here you are. you got these pagan sailors that don't want Jonah to die, and they seem to care more about him than Jonah cared about them. They aren't getting any place. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Please don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. God always knows. God always has a plan. God's always at work. Then the sailors picked up Jonah. They threw him out of the boat into the raging sea, by the way. And the scripture says the storm stopped at once. Not later, not a few minutes later. They threw him out and the storm stopped. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him from that point on. Incredible. God can take a crooked stick and strike a mighty lick anytime he wants to. Here's Jonah running from God, and he would end up using this in the lives of these pagan sailors. And then that passage in verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And we're going to pick that up 
next week. But as we finish up, let me just give you a couple of thoughts as we close out. Number one, Jonah was a sinner. He was a sinner. The Bible says for all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short. Every one of us around. If you look to the person on your left, they're a sinner. You look to the person on the right, they're a sinner. As good as it may look, they're still a sinner. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Jonah was a sinner just like we are sinners. Jonah may have been well-liked and well-thought-of. He may have been well-manicured, and man, he would have had it all together. But when God asked him to go to Nineveh, he said, no, no. He refused. See, Jonah was willing to obey God as long as it was comfortable and as long as it was convenient and as long as it didn't cost him anything. But all of a sudden, when it did, he turned tail and he ran in the opposite direction. And this is what we see in the life of Jonah. God's request, it exposed his true heart. That God's request exposed his true heart. Though everything on the outside looked okay, on the inside, he was a mess. He was carrying out the religious duties to a point on the outside, but God's request exposed his real heart. It's the same thing with us. The second thought, I want to show you some similarities as we get ready to close. Some similarities and some differences between Jonah and Jesus. Here they are really quickly. Jonah was sent to the Ninevites. Jesus was sent to the world. Jonah was swallowed by a whale when he rebelled against God. Jesus was crucified because, um, and placed in a tomb because of our rebellion, not because of his rebellion. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran towards his enemies. Jonah wanted revenge. Jesus wanted to rescue us. Jonah sought to protect himself. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. And even though the Ninevites' sin against Jonah and Israel was terrible, it compares nothing to our sin against our Heavenly Father. So not only are we a sinner like Jonah, but we're also like Nineveh. We're like Nineveh. Before Christ, we're just like the Ninevites. Broken, rebellious, idolatrous, separated from God. But just as God loved the Ninevites, he loves us. He not only loves us, but he pursues us. He pursues us and he loves us even though we're disobedient. We just have to choose how we're going to respond. Because there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. A little bit of Jonah. I was in a conversation. Somebody called me this past week and they said, can we meet? Well, they emailed me. I didn't know who it was. And I said, sure. And I knew with the holidays coming up, I needed to do it that afternoon. And so I immediately um, called them and I said, hey, I said, man, it's 4.30. Let's get together right now. Because when somebody usually has a situation like that, usually it's, we need to talk if, if I at all have that opportunity to talk. So they came in the office and told me that they had been thinking about the things of the Lord. They have, have been sitting through some of the sermons that Brian had been preaching and 
Lord was really working in their lives and, and they were considering a decision to follow Jesus and to make a decision to, to make him Lord of their life. And as we talked, we, we had a great conversation. They made a decision to follow Christ um, Wednesday afternoon. And in the midst of our conversation, as we were finishing up, they said to me, I wish I just could hear God speak to me. And I said, would you say that again? They said, I, I wish I could just hear God speak to me. And I said, how did you get here? And they said, well, I emailed you and you called me. I said, no, how did you get here? They said, well, I drove. I said, no, how did you get here? And they said, I, don't, I really don't know. I said, you got here because you heard God's voice. And you emailed me. And I immediately called you back, and you took the initiative to drive here to meet. I think you heard God's voice. But praise the Lord, you took the initiative to, to respond and to act on what you heard. Because so many times, how many times do we hear God's word? We're listening for God's word, but we never respond to it. See, there's some of you here that may be running just like Jonah, and you know you're running. I don't have to tell you that. I mean, the Holy Spirit's already brought that to your mind. And you, I mean, isn't it time just to stop? Isn't it, isn't it time just, to, just to, to not just hear his voice, but to respond to him? Not just to listen, but to act. You know, I told him that afternoon, I said, you know, we don't come to the Lord because we get ready. All of a sudden, we got this great revelation, and we're going to come to the Lord. I said, man, the, what, the, what happens is the Holy Spirit prepares your heart. He draws you. The Holy Spirit draws you. And in John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In the Greek, that word draws means to, to drag. To drag. And there are some of you here today, listen, before you walk out, you just need to do some business with the Lord. Because there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. I just want to close out and, and pray, pray over you today as we get ready to close out our time. Would you bow with me? In the quietness of this moment, this is, I want to ask you, maybe you know a Jonah. Maybe you got a Jonah that's in your life that's close to you, somebody that you know that's running from the Lord. How are you responding to them? Have you pushed yourself away from them or are you, are you pursuing them as Jesus would pursue them? How are you responding to them? Have you just left them out and walked away from them? Maybe there's somebody that you need to be going to. Maybe you're here today and, man, you look, it looks good on the outside. But the reality is you're running. Whatever it is you're running from, I don't know, but you're running and you know it. You can't outrun him. 
No, maybe it's not the Ninevites that God's asked you to go and preach to, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a place of service. Maybe it's leading a missional community. Maybe it's being more active and sharing your faith in the workplace. Maybe it's a student that God has called you to man, take a lead and begin living for Jesus on campus instead of following your friends. You know what the Lord's telling you? Maybe you're here today and you're like the pagan sellers. You're far away from God. That day, they, they, they came to know God, and they cried out to him, and they asked God to save them. And they gave a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him from then on out. Today, if you don't know the Lord, even today, it could be an opportunity for you to be able to give your life to Christ, to humbly bow yourself, your theology and what you believe. It's not the fact you can save yourself, but it's recognizing that you're separated from God because of your sin. It's recognizing that in, in the Father's depth of his love that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, that our responsibility is, is, is how will we respond to that? Will we humbly bow our, our hearts and our lives before him to receive him, to ask him to be Lord of our lives so that we can become his children and followers of Christ. And today, if that's you, man, I would love to give you that opportunity right there where you are just to say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, and I'm going to pray in just a second. And when I pray, we're going to be closed and we're going to be done with this service, but you have the ability to sit there and just write on a card or either come see me. I'll be here for a couple of minutes afterwards. I'll ask Bart to come. Bart may be here. Um, maybe Jerry can come. Dave will be here. And if you want to talk about your relationship with the Lord, man, we'll be here to just to talk to you and try to walk you through this journey of, of being a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and at the end of the service when I, when I say amen, there's somebody that the Lord has laid on your heart that's running and you just want to pray for them. Or maybe there's somebody, you may be that person that's running. And today, at the, when we're done and everybody else is leaving and they're talking and they're celebrating, you're coming up because you're saying, man, I, I just want to pray for them or I want to pray for myself because I've just been running from God. So however that may be, but let's close by me praying and then we're going to leave. But if there's some decision that you need to make, you can write that down on a card, put it in the offering plate that stands at these back doors and we'll respond to you or you can come and we'll respond to you in that way. Father, what a blessing it is for us to be able to read the word. Your word is very clear. It tells us the stories of our heavenly father at work in the depth of your love and how you pursue us. The fact that you would go to the, dis to go the distance to eventually send your son Jesus Christ to be our Messiah. The one who would come to save us. And it would be through the shedding of his blood, that sacrifice, that our sins could be forgiven. Are we willing to trust in that? If there's some here today that, that don't know you, even today, before they leave, would they come and see us? May they respond that today, I want to follow Jesus. It's as simple as just confessing your sins. Jesus, will you forgive me? I've sure made a mess of my life. And I want to follow you. I believe. I believe. Maybe we've got people here today that have friends that are, that are struggling, and today they know that they need to stand in the gap, and instead of running away from them, they need to run to them. Remind us of that. Would you solidify us to be courageous as your followers? But maybe there's some here today that are running, and Father, even today, would they respond? 
Help us to stop running. I pray for whatever's going on behind the scenes of our lives that we wouldn't be just religious people, but we would be your children on your mission. Recognizing that we have the hope that comes through the blood of Jesus. Bless us now as we close out our time, as we walk out these doors to be your ambassadors to the world, to the Nineveh that you called us to. Help us to not only expose people to the gospel, help us to live it out before them so that they would know the reality and the life-changing impact that a relationship with Jesus has. Help us not just to be known as good church people. Help us to be known as your children and to represent you and to imitate you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.